Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We hope it's a good one for you. The uh, days of August 2020 winding down. A lot of uh, things happening, of course, the political conventions going on. The Democrats last week, Republicans this week. Differing views on the state of the country and certainly uh, what we should do going forward. We'll talk a little bit about that and how rural America plays into this year's election. We're also going to talk about the markets, kind of a changing narrative uh, on the crop that's been assumed to be big, still figures to be big, but maybe not as big as once projected. We'll be talking about that and market outlook. Steve Nicholson with Bravo AgriFinance will be joining us. Ongoing dispute with uh, the U- between the U.S. and Brazil on tariffs on ethanol. We'll talk about that and the ongoing SRE, the small refinery exem- exemptions issues with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. He'll be joining us. And what about the proposals to tighten eligibility for farm programs? We'll talk about that with CPA Paul Niefer with Clifton Larson Allen a little bit later in the program. But let's start it off with Todd Neely from DTN. Todd, thanks for joining us. It is interesting. I mean, last week the Democrats painted one picture. This week the Republicans painting another picture. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how rural America which will play another big part in the election, uh, how they will view this and uh, which way they're going to go. Yeah, definitely, Mike. You know, we've seen, uh, as you know, the past several years, we've seen a lot of issues in rural America that uh, have really been a hot topic. I mean, we've seen the RFS stuff. We've seen trade with China. Uh, you know, we had the USMCA, which was finalized. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of suggestion out there that there are people in the countryside who aren't, who aren't real happy at the moment. Um, not sure how that translates on election day or what it's going to mean going forward, but you're right. We're uh, we're in kind of in the beginning stages of seeing what the contrasts and the comparisons are between uh, both candidates and the, and the upcoming election. And I think uh, I think you're right. This is going to be another big uh, another big election for rural America. I think that uh, you know we're probably going to see a pretty good turnout, but uh, you just don't know. I mean, there's been a lot of a lot of things that have hurt the, the countryside this year, and uh, we're going to see on balance. You know where the good and the bad kind of kind of shape up here. You know, I, I mentioned this yesterday. I, I I think it's interesting. Do farmers credit the administration for providing aid during these yeah. tough times, or do they place blame on the administration for causing the tough times? I think that's kind of the crux of the issue in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're right. I mean, the Trump administration has provided the aid. You know, along the way. You know, it's probably not enough considering everything that's happened uh, in agriculture in the past couple of years. Um, but you're right. It, it's really kind of a hard thing to play out and to see where it goes. But I think, uh, you know, we had the WOTUS rule that, that was uh, done away with and a new one implemented. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a highly positive thing. We had the E15 year-round thing implemented. Uh, so on balance, it's really it's really tough to say. It's obviously a guessing game, but... Uh, there's enough of both good and bad out there to make you think that uh, things do hang in the balance for Trump. And, and I'm really, at this point, it, it, 
be really tough to say, you know, how real America looks at these issues. But uh, we do know that the trade's been a big issue and, and things have, you know, we're starting to see some purchases from China here of late. You know, it's really starting to pick up. But uh, we're going to see if that's uh, too little too late or if it's, you know, if that's a good impression, I guess. Well, let's look at some other topics. Um, you've been writing about uh, a focus on ammonium nitrate. Certainly, had been in the news lately. And uh, uh, tell us yeah. about what what's being discussed there and looked at. Well, you know, there's a House committee. Uh, it's the Committee on Education and Labor. Uh, they sent a letter to OSHA. Uh, I believe it was last week. Uh, they're wanting to know whether OSHA is going to continue on and, and make some changes to its regulations of ammonium nitrate. Um, you know, it's, it's just kind of a first step, I think, but it definitely, you know, what happened in Beirut was a real eye opener. You know, we had 2,700 tons of ammonium nitrate involved in that explosion. Um, you know, and since the 2013, uh, incident in West Texas, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of work done in, uh, ag retail to, to secure a lot of these facilities. You know, there's a program called Responsible Ag, which is a volunteer program, but uh, you know, it's made a lot of facilities, about 1,300 go through the, the rigors of trying to make sure their facilities are safe. Uh, but it still leaves a, a big question out there as to how many facilities are not safe. Uh, there's a large stockpile in the United States every year of ammonium nitrate. And, uh, you know, it's really, it's a good thing, I think, that the committee's starting to look at this again. Um, you know, ag retailers are saying that they've done a lot on this and they've got, they've made some progress, but, uh, Clearly, you know, there's still a lot out there, and I think, um, you know, this this latest incident in, in Lebanon really raises uh, raises the bar again. Um, we're going to talk about this a little later, but interesting uh, efforts to kind of tighten uh, farm program eligibility. I know this is, you know, something Senator Grassley pushed for for years. Uh, do you, are we seeing steps in that direction? Yeah, I think so. You know, uh, they've talked a lot about uh, whether farmers – uh, who are actually farming, whether they're farming or not farming, you know, should they receive, uh, should they receive government benefits and so on. Um, I think this is, you know, this is something Grassley's been, like, like you said, Grassley's been after this issue for a long time. And I think that, you know, as we go forward in the implementation, implementation still of the 2018 farm bill, uh, perhaps there's going to be some, some progress made on that front. I know that, uh, you know, there's still a lot out there to be had in terms of, you know, fixing a lot of the programs. And, you know, Grassley's been big on uh, going after fraud in, in a lot of the farm programs. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But I definitely think uh, in this time, this very tough time in agriculture, uh, you know, whatever whatever can be done at the federal level to tighten the belts and, and make sure the programs are working is uh, really important at this point. And finally, as we draw nearer to harvest, um, still expecting a big crop, but we're starting to have uh, people kind of tap the brakes a little bit about on the size of it. Certainly, yeah. derecho got people's attention, and now lingering right. uh, dry weather in some other parts of the Midwest, uh, starting people starting to talk about taking the top off this crop. Yeah, I certainly think so. You know, we saw the good to excellent ratings yesterday. Uh, fall for corn in Michigan, Iowa, Nebraska, and even South Dakota. Um, you're right. There, there is a definite, uh, there's a definite feel out there that some of these weather events. You know, we've had drought in some in the, the northeast Iowa, or excuse me, the northwest Iowa area, uh, and some other areas of the country. And, and you're right, the derecho really hit the crop hard in Iowa. 
Uh, it's going to be a while to see how that plays out. We won't, won't really know to harvest what that's going to mean. But certainly the crop conditions aren't as good as they were, you know, even a few weeks ago. Um, whether that's going to amount to much when it comes in the final, you know, the final end game, the, re- the yields. But um, I do think for sure it's uh, the markets will start to take notice of this. And I think, uh, you know, it's uh, it's always interesting to see down the road. You never know until harvest day what's going to happen. That's right. We'll, we'll know soon, that's for sure. All right, Todd, good to talk with you. Thanks. All right, thank you, Mike. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Up next, we'll talk about those crop conditions and market outlook with Steve Nicholson with Bravo AgriFinance. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. A toast to soil health. More and more landowners and their farmers are celebrating healthy soil for good reason. Because farmers who use soil health building practices like no-till and cover crops and who use diverse species and rotations report greater farm productivity, profitability, and resiliency. So here's to your soil's health. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn how to unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. So there's a big debate on who should have oversight over gene editing of livestock. Should it be USDA or FDA? We're going to talk about that with Dr. Dan Kovich, Director of Science and Technology for the National Pork Producers Council. Dan, thanks for joining us. Before we get into the oversight issue, let's talk about gene editing and livestock. Uh, explain to our listeners what that is and what's the significance of it. Pork producers are definitely very excited about gene editing right now. What gene editing is is a new a bag of tools, if you will, to look at making very precise changes within the genes of the pig or or any other animal, cattle, poultry, you name it. To do that in a very precise way to have a very known effect. And I think what's really important for people to understand is, unlike some of the older technology, this does not involve swapping genes between different types of animals. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. 
Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk it over with Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Steve, good to talk with you. We have talked many times during the course of this growing season how uh, the market has assumed a big crop, and we know there have been reports and uh, of, of good crops out there. But now we're starting to hear, you know, we had to ratio, and now we're looking at the dry weather in a lot of parts of the Midwest, and uh, kind of this feeling this changing narrative that we're backing off what we thought the crop might have been not that it's going to be a bad crop by any means but maybe not as big as we once thought and the crop condition numbers kind of starting to indicate that a little bit each week uh how do the markets look at this do they change their thinking on the size of this crop enough that we might see a market move up yeah good morning mike uh yeah i think i think there is it's it's interesting to watch the markets. I think it's, it is also a nuanced discussion. Um, we definitely saw in last night's crop condition reports, and, and people will debate them all day long, but I think they at least get the trend right. I mean, there's no question that we've seen the dry weather, uh, particularly in the western Corn Belt, and we think of, of west-central Iowa in particular, and parts of central Iowa is very dry. Um, we see continued rains in the, up in the Minnesota um, and then we see some dry spots on the eastern Corn Belt. So that, that's impacting that. But I think, the, as you said in your question, Dureco has been the, kind of the push over the edge where the markets had to think, really think about this and think, boy, what is this going to mean? And, and, and I think the other piece of that problem is when you look at crop conditions is the uncertainty. You know, it'd be one thing if we had a drought, you know, a full-blown drought, where people have had experience with that and have, know kind of where that, you know, where does that story end? Well, the Draco has just created what I would say part of the reason we see, you know, the, one of the rallies today or the sort of the rally we've seen in corn and soybeans over the last several, you know, last week or so has been the uncertainty about Draco. Yes, it has, you know, certainly damaged corn crop, um, and it's in there, but we don't know how many acres is it for sure. Is it, um, is the corn crop dead completely? Is it is it harvestable? And I'm going to use, put that in quotes. I'm not going to, you know, it's going to be a tough harvest. And so there's a lot of uncertainty, and markets don't like uncertainty. And when there is uncertainty, the markets are going to price something in for that. So I think we are seeing a little bit of a rally. You know, we saw that earlier in the year after we got the June acreage report. The market was like, wow, that was a big change. And so we're seeing that. And I. You know, part of my encouragement here is to producers is, you know, these rallies, use these rallies to your advantage. I mean, I think that, you know, corn in particular, you start looking at corn now and you see 350 on the board for new crop, and I'm not saying that that's a great price, but that's better than where we were. And then you start to look out into next year, and you look at next year's decent crop right now, you know, trading 281, and you start to have to think about, ooh, where are the other opportunities that this is providing me? And so that... That would be one of my kind of, you know, if we use a compliance term, coaching. Um, beans, I will say, 
you know, beans are going to be, we don't know, the dryness has got the bean market a lot more concern. I would argue, too, that beans are probably underpriced fundamentally versus what we know. And I think there is a little more upside yet in the beans. But this is a, you know, the markets are uncertainty, and this is an opportunity, I think, for producers who maybe haven't done as much marketing as they wish they had uh, to take advantage of what the market's given them. Mm-hmm. I think when the storms moved across Iowa, you know, normally if you have that kind of damage in a key production area like that, it would have really uh, got the market's attention. But the feeling at the time seemed to have been, well, the rest of the crop is so good that it'll, you know, we can yeah. withstand that. But now the feeling because of the dry weather seems to be, well, maybe it's not quite that good. Yeah, and there's a couple a couple things in that whole in that whole question. One is USDA did start to take into account the dry weather in Iowa. So we did see that when you saw that that, ache, that yield number in Iowa was down for where you thought it might be uh, based on some crop conditions. But now you've got the Draco and people are starting to think about it. And we've done some work ourselves, and, and, and I will tell you, it's really hard to figure out what that number is. Is it 300, 300 million or is it 400 million bushels of corn lost in Iowa? But I would caution is that if – if we were at a billion bushel carryover versus a two and a half to three billion bushel carryover, this would be a different discussion, and the market would be a lot higher. If we're at a billion bushel carryover, the market's going to go, uh-oh, I need to ration the supply or ration the demand, however you want, depending on what side of the table you're on. Um, where now it's looking at two and a half to three billion, it's go, yeah, we do need to kind of pay attention to this, and the market is reacting to the emotion of it. But when we look at where we are today from a fundamental standpoint on corn, it's not quite as dramatic because we have, you know, very big stocks to cushion the blow that we have. Because you're right, if, if we would typically see Iowa, Illinois, something like this, oh my gosh, the market would be crazy. Well, let's look at the stocks and the demand side of things. Let's talk, we're talking with Steve yep. Nicholson with Bravo AgriFinance. China's still making some good purchases. Yep, and, and that's where I think the soybean market's underpriced. When you look at new crop, and I'm 2021, outstanding sales for soybeans, they are at record levels, and I'm sure many listeners have seen this or read this or heard this. You know, China's accounting for 58% of those purchases. And we're back to the, and I'm going to say this, the old days if you have on soybeans. And so I think that's where we see soybeans, the upside. If you look at Gulf basis numbers on soybeans, they're at numbers we haven't seen since 2016. So that's telling you. Um, at high levels, the, the market is demanding corn, demanding soybeans and wants that. Now, the corn side is a little more a little more interesting. They are demanding more corn. China is taking more corn from the United States. And in the last look, when I last looked at that number, it was about three percent of our total you know corn exports. And I think that's the difference when we look at corn and soybeans. China has only been a big exporter back in ninety five ninety six, where they took a pretty substantial number. Um, and so I think they're going to take some more this year. And the export sales, when you look at export sales for next year, which are pretty small, um, surprisingly, China is a big piece of those as well. But I think we're so early, I don't think we've, just, we've seen the big export moves yet on corn. I mean, when you look at corn, our big, our big customer is Mexico. They're a huge customer. They're kind of like, they're like the, you know, they're like the China to corn as China is to soybeans in the U.S. But so that's why I'm, you know, I'm fairly, I'm a little friendlier more soybeans. Uh, but you know, China's continuing to take. They need it. Uh, they are, they're building their herd there very slowly, uh, and that's where they need the feed. And they are a corn deficit country, um, and they are going to 
it may they're going to buy what's the cheapest, and so that may not necessarily be corn. It may be sorghum. It may be wheat. Um, they do have big wheat and rice stocks, which they'll substitute, but they do need feed grains and coarse grains because they're the deficit corn country. So I would expect to see, and we've seen good sorghum exports as well. And so for those in ex- mm-hmm. sorghum country, this is a good news as well. Yeah, it sure is. I'm going to be talking ethyl in the next segment. What's what's the latest? <laughs> what are, where are our crush numbers there? How's that looking? Yeah, I mean, we're running above 90, around 94 million uh, bushels a week. Uh, that is about 10 million bushels below where we were pre-COVID. So I think the good news is that that's, you know, it's continuing to be solid. I wouldn't say that it, we're not returned to normal, uh, but we are seeing a good solid number there, uh, and that's helping a lot of different things as well. I, I think that, you know, our concern is when we start to think about what happened before and looking ahead on ethanol, is you know what is the winter what does the winter time look like you know probably we're going to still be in the coronavirus era if you have it um and of course as we know here in the northern hemisphere it's flu season and so that's probably a little bit detrimental to driving uh, gasoline usage in the next you know kind of this i will say the last third of the year so that would be my concern looking forward is where is that do we see a boost in ethanol demand for corn? And I would be a little bit cautious to just say, oh, yeah, for sure we'll be there. I think there's going to be some, a little bit of, there'll be some, you know, some clouds on that horizon. But we certainly have come back from a big, big hole that we were in, you know, just four or five months ago. So I think yeah. that's the good news. Yeah, real quick. I mean, it's going to be an interesting fall. We're going to go into harvest, uh, watching yeah. what China does, what watching the size of the crop, watching what the virus does. There's going to be a lot of factors at play here. No, there is going to be a lot of factors at play, and I think that you know will be good for harvest in the sense of that could be good for prices because the uncertainty is going to be there. Uh, you know, it could be when we look at Iowa in particular, it could be a very drawn out harvest, which again adds an uncertainty as to how long. You know, what really is that crop? We may not know that crop again until we get till January in Iowa just because of that. I mean, USDA is going to resurface, resurvey harvested acres for September just for Iowa. You know, that's pretty unprecedented to see that happen. But, you know, we've seen that more and more here over the last several years of resurveying acres down the road. So a lot of uncertainty and some opportunities. And we've seen this pattern before where we put the low in early and then we kind of we kind of see a rally uh through harvest and that's kind of where we are right now we're moving we're moving higher as we approach harvest and get into harvest so opportunities are here we'll see what happens thanks steve yep thanks mike good to talk to you as always steve nicholson rabo agrifinance grain and oil seeds analyst some big ethanol battles with brazil with epa we'll talk about it next with jeff cooper with renewable fuels association right here on aoa Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95... I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains, 
dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Trending higher on this Tuesday session in the grain and oil seed sector an hour into the day. 64% of the nation's corn crop in good, excellent shape, according to USDA, down from 69 a week ago. Soybean conditions falling three percentage points in the good, excellent category to 69%. U.S. exporters reporting sales of 508,000 metric tons of corn and over 346,000 tons of soybeans, mostly to China. Chinese buyers ordering 408,000 tons of corn and 204,000 tons of soybeans. In soybean futures, an hour into the day, the new crop November up ten and a quarter at nine sixteen. December corn up seven and three quarters at three fifty two and three quarters. Chicago wheat December contract up five and a half at five thirty three and a quarter. Kansas City wheat December up seven and a half four fifty three and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat December up four and a quarter at five twenty four and a quarter cent. Livestock at the Merck cattle futures. Trying to recover somewhat after yesterday's losses. October live cattle near unchanged, up seven cents per hundred weight at one hundred eight dollars even. Feeder cattle September down twenty two at one forty two sixty two. We saw triple digit losses in nearby feeder cattle futures yesterday. Lean hog futures on a Tuesday. October up a dollar twenty at fifty five eighty. December up sixty five at fifty six twenty five. The Dow down 78 points, S&P 500 up a point, NASDAQ composite down 18. October crude oil in New York up 48 cents at 43.10 a barrel. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. The Home Service Club sponsors this paid advertisement. Attention homeowners, broken AC, $4,600. Water heater, $1,500. Fridge on the fritz, 1000 bucks. You need home warranty coverage from the Home Service Club. For around a dollar a day, if any of your covered appliances and systems break down, HSC will either do the repair or replace them. HSC has over 15,000 pre-screened, highly rated technicians with the fastest response time in the industry. HSC provides coverage for up to 47 different appliances and systems in your home. Call for a free, no-obligation quote from a trusted HSC service specialist about a home warranty for your entire home all backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. 800-434-5301. Call now and get your first month free, plus $75 off your first year. 800-434-5301. 800-434-5301. That's 800-434-5301. 800-434-5301. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Let's talk some big ethanol issues with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for joining us. If if I was using a, a war analogy, I would say... 
your industry is fighting a two-front war here. You've got uh, this battle with Brazil on tariffs, and you've got, of course, the ongoing battle with EPA on small refinery exemptions. Two big issues. Let's start with the, the Brazil issue first. What's the latest? Well, sure, Mike, and I'd probably add a third front to that, and that would be trade with China. Uh, but huh? <laughs> but we probably only have enough time to talk about the, the two-front uh, war in front of us right now. And, and you're right that Brazil is a big challenge, a big issue. Uh, the clock is ticking, really, in Brazil. They, the, the Brazilian government really has six days to decide what it wants to do with its ethanol import policies moving forward. They currently allow about 200 million gallons of U.S. ethanol imports into that country uh, tariff-free, but then everything over that, any volume above that, is charged a 20% tariff. That quota or that, that tariff-free quota expires at the end of August, and there's growing concern that the Brazilians are just going to charge that 20% tariff on all volume uh, coming into the country beginning in September. Uh, that would be, you know, obviously uh, quite devastating to our, imp- our, our export volumes going to Brazil, which are already taking a hit because of the current policy. So, you know, the current program is already having a negative impact on shipments to Brazil, and it could get much worse uh, in a week if Brazil doesn't do something to uh, right the ship very quickly. What are you hearing from our administration? Well, you know, we've been pleased that uh, our administration has elevated this issue on its list of priorities. Uh, President Trump himself has gotten personally involved here a couple of weeks ago. He he actually uh, raised this issue and said, look, if the Brazilians are going to implement a a 20% tariff on U.S. ethanol, uh, then the U.S. may have no choice but to respond in kind and implement reciprocal tariffs. And, you know, we're starting to import a a fairly large amount of sugarcane ethanol from Brazil. Most, if not all, that is going into California. Um, And it's coming in virtually tariff-free. So the administration is saying if the Brazilians want to play hardball, and slap a 20% tariff on all of our gallons going there, uh, we may have to do something similar to the product that they're sending us uh, to the West Coast. Well, the president has shown us he would not hesitate to do that, certainly. I mean, he's been willing to do that on others, so we'll watch and see. But uh, if that's the case, if we're just into they have tariffs, so we're going to have tariffs, I mean, where does that leave you as the ethanol industry? That, That doesn't really fix it, does it? No, it doesn't fix the issue at all, Mike. And in fact, it probably um, just uh, makes things uh, more stressful and tenuous. What we'd prefer to see is is to get back to the 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 relationship we had with Brazil uh, between 2012 and and late 2017. Uh, if you go all the way back to 2011, uh, our two countries agreed that we would open our borders to each other's product. Uh, and give fair and, and free market access to, to each other's markets. Um, that worked well for both countries um, from 2012 until late 2017 when the Brazilians sort of inexplicably, inexplicably decided they wanted to institute this, this TRQ and tariff program. They said, oh, it's just going to be temporary. It'll be a two-year program. We need to get our own sugar market uh, situation back balanced, um, and then we'll get back to, to doing things the way we did. Well, you know, here we are three years later, and we're still facing trade barriers in that market. We, we would absolutely prefer uh, free and fair and, and open trading relationship with Brazil 
Um, but if they're going to, 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 you know, to erect barriers to our product, uh, and they they have you know they have shown no desire to return to that free trade relationship that we had, uh, then we may have no choice but to uh, respond in kind. So we wait to see what happens this week. Is this one of these that winds up getting delayed, or do you think we see a decision one way or another? Well, I, I think the way you know we understand the the law in Brazil is if they don't do something uh, before August 31st, that on September 1st. Uh, that 20% tariff would automatically kick in and apply to every gallon. Um, so, you know, it, 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 you know, we feel like the Brazilians need to do something. They need to take some action here in the next week um, to, to either delay um, that tariff or, you know, what we'd prefer is just to see them eliminate it completely, go back to a zero tariff uh, and, a, you know, scrap the, the quota and all that nonsense and just get back to the way things used to be. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Speaking of delays, let's go to now the small refiner exemptions and, and EPA. The the number before them of these requests for waivers continues to grow, as does the feeling that the administration is willing to kind of delay until after the election before taking action on this. Uh, what's the latest we know on SREs, and are we hearing anything about the president actually talking uh, with Andrew Wheeler at EPA about getting this resolved. Well, Mike, as I'm sure you know, uh, President Trump was was in Iowa last week surveying the the damage from the derecho. Uh, Vice President Pence had been to Iowa a, a few days before that. Um, they both uh, sort of got an earful from the folks they talked to, including uh, elected officials and you know Senator Ernst and Senator Grassley and and uh, uh, Governor Reynolds and Secretary Neg. Um, about this issue, and, and President Trump uh, committed to Senator Ernst that, yeah, I, you know, I'm going to talk to EPA personally about this issue. We haven't uh, received any kind of confirmation that that has happened. Um, that conversation can't happen soon enough. Uh, we really do need the president to step in and inter- intervene here um, because we just, you know, continue to see these exemption requests piling up at EPA. They now have 98 pending waiver petitions. Uh, from the RFS, and, and if EPA were to grant those, it would more than double the amount of, of lost demand from these exemptions that we've already seen uh, from the 85 waivers that EPA has already given out for the last few years. So uh, this is a, a critical issue, um, and it needs to be dealt with before the election. Uh, and, you know, because, you know, if this thing slips past the election, uh, all bets are off about what EPA may do with these requests. I understand that the president is weighing, you know, trying to keep walking down this line and keeping both sides happy, the oil industry and the biofuels industry. But uh, I wrote about this last week in a commentary. They really missed an opportunity to hit a home run in Iowa. If they'd have gone in there, the vice president and the president, and announced, you know, they weren't going to grant these waivers uh, and they were going to change their policy, say abide by the court ruling, I mean, I'm not saying it would have wrapped up rural America, but it sure would have been a big uh, uh, a big plus for them going into the election, and they missed that chance. I mean, they could still do it before the election, but the indication doesn't seem they're, they, they're willing to, which makes me think, do they think they need to do it, or do they think the oil industry sports more important to them? Well, that's that's something we've been sort of scratching our head about as well, Mike. And, and you know, President Trump wasn't just in Iowa last week. He was also in 
Mankato, Minnesota, and Oshkosh, Wisconsin. So he's in the middle of, of corn country and ethanol country. Uh, we certainly thought there would be an opportunity there for uh, the White House to, to make some statements along the lines of what you're talking about. Um, you know, give that assurance to farmers that uh, uh, in our industry that, that these waiver requests are going to be denied, and, and that didn't happen. So uh, we are sort of questioning where these uh, requests stand. Um, and, and really what the you know, campaign is thinking about its, its support uh, in the Midwest and particularly in some of these swing states like Iowa and Minnesota and Wisconsin and Michigan. Um, this is an issue that voters in those states, uh, particularly in rural areas, uh, care about and, and something they've been following very closely along with some of the trade issues that we've already talked about. So um, I agree. I think uh, the president could have done himself a favor by – you know, making, you know, announcing a plan on, on this issue uh, when he was in this part of the country last week. And maybe he still will, but uh, we'll see. Uh, meanwhile, you're still waiting on RVO levels for next year. But, of course, if you don't have resolution of the the waiver issue, then those numbers, as we've seen before and talked about before, aren't as meaningful anyway. Well, that's right. It's It's all kind of tied together, and that's the reason why we don't think we've seen a, an RVO proposal yet is, uh, you know, EPA is, is sort of looking at, at taking all these actions together and deciding what to do with small refiner exemptions, what to do with these uh, waiver requests from the governors um, and the RVO. You know, we expect that all to happen at once. And so the big question is, does that happen before or after the election? And, and what direction is EPA going to go? Um, at, at this point, it seems, you know, next to impossible that EPA would get a final RVO rule out for 2021 by the statutory deadline of November 30th. Uh, and so that just creates more uncertainty um, and, and confusion and, and that you know, lack of predictability, not just for our industry, uh, but for the farmers who, who supply our industry, but also for the refiners who are obligated to blend renewable fuels under the RFS. They have no idea what their obligation is going to be next year uh, and that makes it difficult for everybody. So we continue to push EPA to, to get off dead center, make some decisions one way or the other, uh, and, and, you know, everybody affected will react accordingly. A lot hanging in the balance. We didn't, we're out of time. We didn't get to a possible another COVID assistance package, and now that's kind of – you're waiting on that, too, to see if ethanol will be included. We're waiting to see if there's going to be any at all. Just so yeah. much hanging in the balance here. All right, Jeff, thanks a lot. Hey, on a positive note, the Cardinals are playing and winning. That's a good thing. That's right. It's good to see our birds back and, and looking pretty good so far. That's right. Take care, Jeff. Thank you. Jeff Cooper, right. President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Up next, we'll talk about the Ag Department making changes to eligibility rules for commodity programs. Next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. 
Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to chill. First, keep the fridge at 40 degrees or below to keep bacteria from growing. Use an appliance thermometer to be sure things are cool. Then, chill leftovers and takeout foods within two hours and divide food into shallow containers for fast cooling. And always thaw meat, poultry, and seafood in the fridge, not on the counter, and never overstuff the fridge. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of a topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you guests important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Well, one of the upgrades to NAFTA in the new USMCA was supposed to be in the area of dairy. And I want to get an update see how that is going here in the early stages of USMCA. We're joined now by Shauna Morris, Vice President Trade Policy for the National Milk Producers Federation. Shauna, thanks for joining us. How's it going so far here in the early stages of USMCA from a dairy perspective? Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, I'd say in the early stages of USMCA, uh, we're still hopeful about the tremendous promise that this agreement has for dairy farmers and dairy manufacturers. But it's also very clear from this early start of the process so far that a lot more work's ahead of the U.S. in order to get the full benefits of those uh, commitments that we extracted from Canada as well as from Mexico under USMCA. 
For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Wearing a seatbelt while driving or riding in a vehicle can greatly reduce the risk of injury or death. Sadly, half of all roadway fatalities are unbuckled drivers and passengers. People who aren't buckled endanger not only themselves, but others in the vehicle as well. Everyone riding in vehicles should be properly restrained to increase the likelihood of survival. Drivers should make sure that all occupants of the vehicle, including themselves, are buckled up. Drive safe. Save lives. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Ag Department making changes to eligibility rules for commodity programs. Let's talk about it with Paul Neifer, CPA with Clifton Larson Allen. Paul, good to talk with you again. Uh, how significant will these changes be? You know, I, I think it's really just going to affect uh, those larger farm or family farm operations where there's, let's say, three or four or five of the owners of the family farm really don't work on the farm. You know, they're not providing those uh, personal labor hours. They're actually just providing management hours. Uh, you know, the 2014 farm bill, it tightened it up where cousins and nieces and nephews weren't considered to be part of family. But then the 18 farm bill brought them back into family. So everybody thought, okay, it's going to go back to the old rules where all you had to do is provide some, you know, critical management services to the farm operation, but the new uh, announcement that came out about a week ago or last week essentially said, well, it isn't critical. You have to provide at least 25% of the management services for that farm operation or at least 500 hours. So it sort of goes back to what the 14 Farm Bill brought in for non-family members. Now it appears that they're applying that to anybody that wants to get, you know, a payment limit based on the fact that they're providing management, not active personal labor. So, so it, 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 it's really those larger family operations with uh, family members that don't work on the farm that are going to be affected. So it sounds like a tweak of the rule, but not a major change or overhaul. I would agree. And, and in the, um, you know, they always do an analysis how much this regulation change is going to cost the, you know, the government, so to speak. And they indicated that they actually see about an extra 20, 25 million of payments going out based on some other provisions that are in there. Uh, but the key one that I saw was really related to the one that's going to hurt, possibly hurt farm operations is this tightening of the management rules. So if it is going to affect your farming operation, what should you do? Well, this is a case now where if you think you're close to 500 hours or, you know, you rather start documenting it because they actually require you to maintain a log and certain things that you maybe thought, well, I didn't have to worry about that before. It was sort of related to the farm. You know, go ahead and document those hours. You know, anytime that you're listening to, to this talk show, that's management services. So document that time that you're listening to Adams on Act. That's that's important hours. So I, I think it's going to be hard to get the 25% rule. But for some of these people, they're very involved in hedging and marketing and 
and, and might be doing the books for the farm operation. It might be pretty easy for them to meet the 500 hours, but they got to make sure they document it. So that's going to be the key takeaway that I see. That was a great promo. The time spent listening to Adams on Agriculture, those are key hours, critical hours. I like that. That's that's good. I couldn't have yeah. written that better and for you. you. That's yeah, and you didn't even pay me for that. I mean, I no. can't put that on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. We're talking with Paul Neefer, CPA with Clifton Larson Allen. Paul, I know you're out on the road uh, doing some teaching and, and working with the, a lot of your clients. Uh, is there anything that uh, folks need to be uh, aware of, other rule changes or tax changes that uh, or changes in the tax code they need to keep in mind? Well, I think the key thing right now is most of our farmers out there have gotten a PPP loan, you know, the Paycheck Protection Program loan. And right now they're in the process of thinking about asking for forgiveness. And what I've been telling my clients and other CPAs is don't be in a hurry. There's likely going to be either a law change or there's going to be a change from SBA that says that if your loan amount is under 150000 which is most of the ag producers out there, their loan was under that number, they're not going to have to provide any documentation to the government. They're not going to have to really fill out a very complicated form. It's going to be very easy. If they try to do the process now, even for a small loan, it's, it's a little bit difficult even for us CPAs to figure out some of this stuff. So I would just tell producers, don't be in a hurry. Go ahead and wait. You're going to get some guidance here maybe in a month or two months that says, if your loan's on 150000 you just sign a form and you're done. So, so that's one thing. Also, we're having a potential... A benefit for those farmers with employees, this employee retention credit that's in the HEALS Act that the Senate proposed. Now, it hasn't passed yet, but I think that's the ability possibly to even get more benefit to a farmer than the PPP loan. So, uh, you know, definitely have them continue to look at our blog or you'll bring me back on when, when we see some of those changes. Yeah, we wait to see if Congress is going to move again on this. They seem stalemated at the time at the time being but i think that's the question with the assistance that's been out there so far what are there strings attached or are there things that you're going to have to account for later if you received any of that help no on the ppp the only string attached that i've seen on the 150,000 or less is that you're required to maintain your payroll records your canceled checks that you use to pay for those items, you're required to maintain them for six years because there's a possibility that the SBA might do a spot audit. So that's really the only string attached. The one on the employee retention credit, for our farmers, for them to qualify, it appears that maybe in the third quarter or the fourth quarter of this year, they just need to make sure that their revenues are 25% less than the revenues in the same quarter last year. And for most farmers, they can time their sales, deferred payment contracts, and so on. They can time their sales and get that number down. So I, I think I think they would easily qualify. My only concern is we may not really know about this for sure until after the election, and by then it might be a little late. So uh, I, I just don't know if the Democrats and the Republicans are going to come together before the election on this stuff. Yeah, it makes you wonder for sure the way it's going right now. Paul, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you again. Thanks for the update, and thanks for the promo. No. You're welcome. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Safe travels. Paul Neifer, CPA with Clifton Larson Allen. All right, that wraps it up for today. Tomorrow, more on the battle in rural America in this election cycle, this campaign, how ethanol is a big issue in that. We're going to talk markets uh, and more on that as this 
narrative changes on what the size of this crop might be, but also the stocks issue and, uh, and of course, the China issue. How much more might they buy? We'll get an update on that and relations between the U.S. and China moving forward. So lots, uh, lots to get into. We'll do that tomorrow. Thank you for being with us today. Have a safe day, everyone, and thanks for listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.